open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. This is the 124th episode of the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, and we have with us the legendary Jesse Powell, CEO of Kraken. It's the largest Euro Bitcoin exchange, and uh, welcome to the podcast, Jesse. Hey, thanks, Trace. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so just to start off, like, you know, you've been around Bitcoin for a long, long time. You've seen how many exchanges have problems. I mean, you've been intimately involved with a lot of these, cleaning up the messes in a lot of cases. You know, we, we actually have very actionable information today. We've been we've been busy all day. It's currently one o'clock in the morning. You got a five o'clock flight to catch to the consumer electronics show. And this morning, right before all our meetings, uh, Bitstamp lost 19,000 Bitcoins. Really? Not again. Can you talk a little bit about how you got involved with Mt. Gox clear back in 2011 and you know how that's led to this Kraken and, and getting the receivership from the Tokyo Bankruptcy Court? You know, let's, let's kind of delve into all of that. Yeah, sure. So... Um you know, many people are probably already aware, and I've blogged about this, and the story's publicly known. I went out to Japan in June of 2011 to help Mt. Gox through through that hack that they had back then. It was the first hack that they were aware of. I spent about a week and a half out there helping them kind of get things in order. Came away from that with the realization that the Bitcoin exchange is is probably the most critical piece of the ecosystem. It keeps everything moving. It keeps merchants um, able to to take Bitcoin as payments. It keeps price discovery going. When Mt. Gox had gone down, pretty much everything had ground to a halt. Like nobody knew what to do. Nobody knew what the value of a Bitcoin was. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoins they'd gone from like a dollar to thirty-two dollars in space of a few months, and then they eventually crashed all the way to two dollars after this hack. I mean, yeah, it it's the phrase getting goxed. Like, yeah, I mean, it really attacks that first network effect of Bitcoin of speculation. Yeah, definitely. So there's obviously huge counterparty risk with any exchange right now. And, um, you know, some of the biggest traders you've spoken to have said that the counterparty risk is really the biggest threat to them. That's why they're worried about leaving a lot of money on the exchange. That's why that's what's preventing them from making the order book more liquid. And arbitrage and spreads and like... Yeah, I mean, all of this comes down to, you know, why why pick up pennies in front of the bulldozer? You know, why yeah. why try and pick up five or ten basis points when you could lose 30% of your capital? When someone loses 200,000 or 800,000 Bitcoins or 20,000 Bitcoins or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. So you're sort of, like you said, risking your entire fortune for a few pennies. So what we would like to do in the long term is, is move to a fully multi-sig solution so that even if Kraken is hacked somehow that we don't have the ability to lose the coins because we've only got one of three keys or 
you know, one of some some number of keys, and, and we don't have the ability to to spend ourselves. Yeah, and part of this, I mean, it's it's more complicated than just you know having multi sig implemented with what's currently out there. I mean, I know at Armory we're we're working on some very you know serious enterprise level solutions that we can really kind of provide what what Bitstamp or a Kraken would need in that regard. So. Uh, but the the actual software it hasn't really been built yet. If somebody wants to accomplish that, and it's it's difficult stuff to build too. You know, it's difficult software to build. I mean, the security's mm-hmm. uh, a major, like a major issue. Yeah. We we saw when Gox failed. You know, they blamed it on transaction mailability, mm-hmm. and around the same time, you know, they like Gox halted because of this transaction mailability. Bitstamp halted trading, mm-hmm. like some of the other exchanges halted trading. And I thought it was funny, like Kraken sent out a tweet, Kraken halts nothing because planning, carry on. Mm-hmm. And Kraken didn't halt trading. Like, I mean, why right. is that? These other exchanges halted. Like, why didn't you guys halt? I mean, transaction malleability had been known. It was well documented and we had just planned around it. I think some of the core developers, I don't, I don't remember if it was Gavin or Jeff or um, who it was, but Described transaction malleability as sort of a feature, not not a bug. It was known; you could work around it, and um, or work with it. Yeah, or, or work with it. You know, we had just planned for it, and so you know, this is one of one of the risks in supporting coins that you haven't fully vetted or you don't fully understand the protocol. This is why Kraken is not very quick to add new coins. And it's just that you can overlook something like that. You botch your implementation somehow, you miss a, a detail, and you're affected by something like transaction malleability. Yeah, so not really like Cripsy or these other altcoin exchanges that just like throw anything on there. Like, in fact, yeah. I mean, you guys wanted to add Namecoin, which has, you know, been around a long time. Mm-hmm. It's merged mine with uh, Bitcoin. Yeah. Like, what, like, tell us about what happened when you went to add Namecoin to Kraken. Yeah, so I mean, even though Namecoin had had been around for years, at the point we added it, we still did our usual diligence on it, and we wanted to understand the protocol. And and when you say diligence, I mean you're digging into the actual code of the protocol. Yeah, that's just one piece of it. You know, we we obviously want to understand the protocol very well, but we also want to understand the development team, like whether this coin is going to be around in six months or whether it's a pump and dump or, you know, what, whether there's some, some real value here to the coin. We obviously don't want to waste our development time on something that's, that's going to be bad for our users to invest in or it's going to be just abandoned shortly after. As part of that kind of comprehensive diligence process, we took a hard look at the protocol and discovered this critical flaw in the protocol. And that was that the enforcement of, of ownership of these uh, the .bit do- domains was not actually enforced at the protocol level. It was only being enforced on the client. So we, we ultimately reported that to uh, the Namecoin dev team and worked with them to come up with a fix for it. Yeah, you know, I mean, that there's there's actually several examples where you've done, you know, critical service to Namecoin in this instance. What about, like, the whole auditing of Reserve? Kraken was the first uh, exchange mm-hmm. to audit like per, like produce what could be considered like a cryptographic proof of ownership or proof of reserves or proof of control like could you describe that a little bit yeah so after gox went down there was this huge public outcry for exchanges to show proof of reserves and as far as i'm aware we're the first exchange to to do it this process wasn't invented by us uh but i think 
Greg Maxwell was, to my knowledge, like the, the guy that came up with this process, which is sort of cryptographic proof using the Merkle tree, proved to every user that their, their balance was included in this total, in total balance. balance. So the way that we did it, two ways that it could have been done. Um, one would have been to publish the total balance and publish the entire tree for everyone. We chose not to go that route because we felt that publishing the total balance was another sort of security compromise. Like We didn't want to show hackers how much money there was there. Incentivize them to come and try and get it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's, uh, also a, it's also a trade secret. Also you know, you, trade you don't secret, want your, right? your competitors to know that information either. Exactly, yeah. So we felt that that was giving away a lot, and we, we thought that we could find somebody trusted within the community to just sign off on that and, and to oversee the, the process. And uh, so we got Stefan Thomas, who's one of the, uh, the old-school Bitcoiners who developed the WeUseCoins.com site um, and uh, BitcoinJS, and he's now the CTO of Ripple. So we had him. He's in San Francisco now, so we had him come by the office and, and do the audit for us. Uh, so everything checked out, and I think that, that went over really well with the community. It was, it was a good kind of first a first run at it. We, we found some things that we, we could do better next time, um, and, and given light of recent events, it's probably about time to do it again. You know, we, we'd wanted to do it much more frequently than we had, but uh, it's a bit of a production finding somebody kind of qualified to actually sign off on it. Yeah. And personally, I'd, I'd love to see, you know, 24 seven type uh, audit happening, but you get, yeah. you, you really do have to weigh kind of the, the cost and the, the benefit from it and things like that. I mean, I guess we could raise fees to be auditing on a 24 seven basis, but yeah, uh, well, you know, we can do that internally and, you know, you can reconcile our own books internally and that's not a problem, but yeah, but we're talking it, about getting like a third party that's like trusted yeah. that has other things to do and, earns a lot of money. Like. Right. Yeah. So to have a third party do it on a daily basis, um, would be quite expensive. Uh, so the al- alternative, I guess would be to publish the balance every time we do it and have it be automated completely. But again, like you said, it's, it's revealing a lot of information we don't necessarily want to reveal, but that only solves kind of half of the problem in that it solves having to trust the exchange that, that they're telling you the truth about what, that they have your money. It doesn't solve a problem of them getting hacked. Like it doesn't make them unhackable. So yeah, cause they, you could publish the results and two minutes later get hacked and like poof. Exactly. And it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, there are also some other flaws with the process. Like we could have borrowed the coins while we did the audit and then we could have given them back to whoever lent them to. So it's not totally foolproof, but at least you know that we had access to the, the coins at some point. So yeah, I, I think that the greatest solution is just the multi-sig setup where the technology is not quite there yet to make it very easy on the consumer to to do this. But there's some companies working on this. BitGo is working on it and uh, CryptoCorp is working on it to be this sort of third-party signatory who can have one of three keys. And so the exchange would have a key, those guys would have a key, and then the user would have a key and we would have a relationship with a third party that allows us to collect the Bitcoin when we need it. But if there's sort of like a burst of, of Bitcoin pulled, they, their velocity triggers would go off and they would stop us from taking you know, too much money. I was talking with Brian Donegan from the Isle of Man government, and uh, we actually did a podcast interview with him. Perhaps having 
trust companies or law firms or, you know, other escrow agents, people that are licensed, bonded, insured, things like that to actually be some of these additional signers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily even have to be a Bitcoin specific company that does yeah. it. It could be the insurance company. Uh, you know, there are lots of potential solutions. But like you said, the tech just isn't built yet. I mean, like mm-hmm. we have a lot of work to do over at Armory to build this foundational infrastructure in the wallet for right. this to be able to actually be implemented on, mm-hmm. a, on a large enterprise and like level scale. Yeah. You know, switching gears, what about this cryptocurrency bank, this Fedor relationship that you've got? Can you describe that a little bit? Because I think that's just a critical like piece of what's going on here. I had a relationship with Fedor uh, for a bit over a year now, and things have gone really well. Uh, we've been really tight with them. We've kind of figured out what the risk model looks like and what you know what the problems are in running an exchange or doing payments for Bitcoin related transactions, uh, and sort of what sorts of problems other banks are going to have with it and regulators are going to have with it. Having all that behind us and having been able to kind of build out our infrastructure and, and our processes, Fedor is feeling comfortable now to try to open up their bank to to other companies and, and other just the Bitcoin user base as a whole, since banking has been such a huge problem for even individuals in the space, but even more so businesses. So rather than try to fit this project under the Fedor brand, they're interested in in creating a, a cryptocurrency bank. So a separate bank under a separate brand that will have the mission of banking Bitcoin companies and Bitcoin users. So we just had a um, sort of a workshop brainstorming session in Berlin a couple weeks ago that went really well. We had a lot of participants from from the Bitcoin business community there, got a lot of good ideas, kind of got to understand the needs of uh, of other Bitcoin businesses and what features they'd like to see and how the bank could be most helpful to them. And being being such a good trailblazer, you know, it's really, we've had a lot of our trailblazers that either completely abused their position, like Mt. Gox and Carpellis and MyBitcoin.com and Bitcoinica and Intersango. And mm-hmm. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So it's good to see like a trailblazer actually like doing it the right way. You know, like, and, and, and a bank saying, Hey, look, you know, it's, it's actually been a good experience. We're going to, we're going to work with other Bitcoin companies. Like, I think that's great. We had the Mt. Gox bankruptcy over in Japan, like international news. And yet Kraken's going to be opening in Japan. Like, can you describe a little bit about like, how has this happened? (laughs) Yeah. So we're already open. Um, the Japanese government surprisingly has been very open, in support of Bitcoin. And we found out that it was actually a Japanese politician, um, Fukuda, who was tasked with like figuring out what happened at Gox. And that was how he found out about Bitcoin when he was researching it to understand the Gox case, just became enamored by it and thought it was such a great thing that he wanted <laughs> he wanted Japan to have a bigger role in what was going on. So great to make lemonade. <laughs> yeah. I mean he was able to see past the whole Gox scenario and understand that Gox was not Bitcoin and that Bitcoin was this bigger thing and Gox is just one company. And so Japan has has put this moratorium on the um, their equivalent of the, the money transmission rules there. And um, it's sort of open season for, for Bitcoin companies in Japan right now. We've made our way um, into Japan. We've translated the site. We've got some Japanese support staff. Um, the market there is still very small. I think probably many people that had been trading there are, are still feeling burnt by Gox. But, you know, I think it's, it's going to come around. Japan obviously is a huge um, 
player in, in the global economy, huge financial markets. So we're confident that that is a market that can grow for Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, that, that's just great. You know, not only you trailblazed in all these places, but even in the, the destruction that Mt. Gox has left, like you've come in, been approved by the Tokyo government, by the Tokyo bankruptcy court, mm-hmm. by the Tokyo bankruptcy trustee to handle the receivership of the hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin. This is really quite a bit that's been accomplished. Like, why do you think they chose Kraken and not Bitfinex or Bitstamp or OKCoin or like 796.com? I mean, Mm -hmm. how many many Kraken competitors can I list, right? Like BTC China. I mean, why they choose Kraken and not all these other potential players? I think in, in large part it was due to our conservative approach to the business as a whole and you know many of the guys you've named have trailblazers i would say have also been corner cutters they've kind of done things the fast and easy way to gain market share to achieve revenue we've always taken the cautious approach you know there are plenty of guys out there doing it that way and i'm glad that some guys are doing it that way because in in many places they're doing it illegally but somebody does need to serve that market and i'm, I'm glad the United States, for example, is a very tough market to, to service legally. Um, so I'm glad that some people are able to service it illegally. It's not a risk that we're willing to take. Yeah, so but, Kraken, I mean, you, you service, what, five states right. in the U.S., but that's it. But yeah, so just five states, and those are the states where we are able to, to service users legally. And uh, a lot of people don't understand that it doesn't matter where your business is located. If you're taking a user in California or New York, you need to have a license in California, New York, even if your company's based in Japan or Slovenia, or Slovenia, yeah, or like or, Bitstamp, yeah. So these guys, and, and I mean, what happens? Like, what, what could potentially happen here? And like, what about systemic risk? You know, one of the biggest fears for yeah. traders. You know, like I said, the, the counterparty risk is a huge thing for traders. You know, for guys that have been operating illegally, sure, they've gained the market share. By doing that, but I think they've exposed themselves to this huge risk that the United States government is going to come after them at some point, or one of the state governments. Yeah, or one of the states. And and, so, and, I mean, what what can happen there? Like, what difference does that make? <laughs> the, the the penalties are pretty extreme in the United States. It's something like five thousand dollars a day per per user that you're servicing illegally, plus five years in prison. Plus, like your investors are potentially on the hook as well for yeah, crime so, of operating an, an unlicensed money transmission business. So, I mean, we're talking about like, when you're dealing with this Mt. Gox bankruptcy, they seized $5 million in the Wells Fargo account in mm-hmm. the U.S., right? Yeah. And like the Chapter 15 bankruptcy, like are those funds which could be customer funds? Like, are they going to get rolled into the bankruptcy? I mean, like, that's that's what we're mm-hmm. talking about here is, like, one of these illegally operating exchanges could be accruing these contingent liabilities that may eventually uh, manifest themselves in terms of a fine. Yeah, guess guess where the funds are going to come to pay this fine? Guess where they're going to get seized from? Yeah, it's going to be customer accounts that are going to get seized. Like, what happened with Gox? Yeah. Potentially. Uh, potentially, yeah. And, and then... The customers will probably have to fight for getting their funds back and say, no, those funds did not belong to the exchange. They belong to the users. Um, and so we need those funds back and probably going to be a nightmare for, for everybody involved with that. Yeah. And so Kraken, you just, you just don't take that market share. You don't take those customers. Yeah. So it I means, mean, it's, it's a handicap, but it's, it's a huge, handicap. but it's a long term strategy. Yeah. Very and, conservative strategy. 
Right. And we feel that for the customers, clients that are able to use our exchange, that we're able to service legally, we would be doing them a disservice by, on top of that, offering our service illegally to another set of users that creates a risk for these guys that we are servicing legally. Now, like, you know, where there's a will, there's a way though, right? Like there's five five states that you can take full boarded customers from. Right. Like, what, what are the five states again? They are uh, Alabama, South Carolina, Montana, New Mexico, and Massachusetts. Okay. One of the blogs I operate, howtovanish.com, uh, we actually write a lot about New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you do a lot of work with institutions or entities, right? So, yeah. like, corporations and LLCs can have accounts at Kraken. Mm-hmm. So, like, New Mexico is actually one of the, the ones I talk about on this How to Vanish. Like, if you go to howtovanish.com forward slash nm like new mexico nm llc uh it'll forward to the the article or whatever like new mexico you can get an llc for 50 dollars, mm. and it's a perpetual registration good for like 99 years like if somebody really really wanted to crack an account like super bad and they were willing to like go get a new mexico llc and mm-hmm. have a registered agent in new mexico could they then open their Kraken account with this New Mexico LLC? Yeah, there would be nothing preventing us from servicing a New Mexico entity. So they would be able to trade through that entity in New Mexico or in any one of the other four states we're able to service or in any entity abroad. Yeah, so they could have a Hong Kong entity or something, you know, uh, that they could also trade through. But, you know, New Mexico LLC with registered agent, that could be a potentially pretty cheap way to be able to avail oneself legally compliant manner with with Kraken. Yeah. And, you know, where, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. So like what 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 are some other things that might be actionable for the audience to do? One thing I've noticed with Kraken, there's there's a lot of, you could say, security features that are like Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about some of these? Like, you know, because a lot of people don't know what they don't know and they don't know that they don't know it. So like, yeah. what are some of these security features that are there for the very security conscious that person just might not be aware of. Yeah, some of the stuff you need to dig for, kind of advanced settings. PGP encrypted email is available. So all the uh, the automatic updates that you get from the exchange, from password reset emails to uh, trade notifications to uh, funding address changes. Um, you can have all these emails encrypted when they go out to you. Now, what could be an advantage of that? Well, let's say somebody manages to compromise your email account. They make an attempt to reset your password. Well, if you had two-factor on there, they probably wouldn't be able to do it. But if you, let's say you didn't have two-factor on your account and they tried to reset reset your password by sending a recovery email to your email account. Well, if your email was encrypted, they wouldn't be able to decrypt that email to see how to recover the account. So they would also have to compromise your machine or, or your, or your, your private key, key yeah. for your GPG. Right. And like trade notifications, like if they compromise your, your email account and they see that you like withdrew a thousand bitcoins from Coinbase, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it comes from Coinbase and like this open email and man, they, they know you're sitting well, on yeah. some, some cash and they know the address. Now they know to in, dig right? a little deeper or, or just like sit on your account for a while and try not to let you know that they, that they're there, that they're there and wait for you to expose those coins to them. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's just like a kind of a PGP. You're, you're just sending up this additional barrier for anyone who's like fortunate enough to like hack your email. Like yeah. Or the, who happens to work at the email provider that just likes to snoop around. 
you know, Coinbase or Kraken could even have malicious customer service employees or something. You know, sure. I mean, like this helps protect against so many different potential security vulnerabilities. Yeah. So I would highly recommend anybody um, using the exchange to just use PGP for email, period, for everything, for all email. I mean, I try to use it as much as possible for everything. And uh, it's not too hard to do. I think Gmail actually just released some sort of plugin. I haven't tried it myself yet, but it's some some Chrome plugin for doing a PGP email through the Gmail web client. For using just a desktop client, you can use Enigmail works with Thunderbird. And yeah. there's also, um, I think, GPG Tools comes with some sort of uh, plugin for, for Outlook or for Mail. And there, there's also a Mailvelope, which is a Chrome yeah. plugin also that's fairly easy to use. GPG's just been very clumsy. Uh, it'd be great if there were like a bit message uh, integration because then we wouldn't even have metadata. You yeah, know, that's like no, idea. no one would know you even had a Kraken account by going through your, your right. email because you're, you know, getting it via bit message. But that, that's a lot more developer time to probably get it in, implemented. Right, that would uh, be cool. So it makes that's it hard. Cool. It makes it hard for someone to fish for Kraken accounts. Right? right. So yeah, obviously if you have PGP email on your Kraken account, you know if you get an email that's not encrypted that it's obviously not from us. That would weed out a lot of phishing attempts there. Yeah, so so we got PGP email, you talked about two-factor authentication. Two-factor. Yeah, so two-factor allows you to use a second device to log in like something separate from your main machine. So you can use uh, what's called Google Authenticator to uh, like on your phone to generate a second sort of one-time use password they use when logging in so that even if somebody were able to compromise your username and password they wouldn't ever get this one-time use code unless they somehow also acquired your cell phone so it's just a second device so you need to compromise both to actually compromise an account so that's huge and everybody should have that on their account both for logging in and for for making withdrawals what about what about the master lock yeah so the master lock maybe you can explain that a little bit yeah that's a feature that isn't used enough uh it's a little hard to find but it's in the settings and it basically allows you to lock down your account so say you're going out of town or you think you're going to be using it from a computer that you don't trust entirely you can completely lock down um, a whole set of features on your account and you can set a timer on it so that it'll unlock after X, X number days of days. Yeah. Uh, so if you wanted to be totally sure that nobody's going to get into your account while you're off the grid on Safari for two weeks, then you could. Which you just finished. Which I just did. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I managed to, to go off the grid for a week on, on Safari, which was totally awesome. <laughs> See any big game? Uh, yeah, we saw, saw Mark actually, somewhere. <laughs> did not catch Mark on, on the Safari. <laughs> Uh, we have to take the Japanese <laughs> safari for that one. We, we need them yeah. over the fireplace, you know. <laughs> a trophy. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's all fun and games until somebody loses seven hundred thousand bitcoins. <laughs> yeah, it's just insanity. It's just hard, hard to believe that that happened. Um, actually, we we don't know for sure that 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 happened because we don't know if we can trust. The database that we've got. I mean, it could be a million bitcoins that are lost. Could it could be, be a million, what, yeah. a thousand. I mean, it's... Exactly, yeah. yeah so we crazy. don't know. I suspect that not all the claims will be approved. You know, I'm sure Mark has a claim of his own. 200,000, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he's, he's got a balance on Mt. Gox on his own personal account. He'll probably make a claim. You know, whether that claim will be approved or not is uh, yet to be seen. But I think there are 
there may be several users on the exchange if if Gox was actually hacked and there may be some inflated balances that, that don't get paid out or there may be some guys who had money from their Silk Road activity that have just decided they better don't to, want it. to let it go than to risk going well, to prison. Well, what, what's going to happen? Like, let's say that there's 650,000 of customer balances, but only 325,000 get claimed. Like, like I mean, what, yeah, happens? So what happens in that case? It's all going to go pro rata to the guys who have the claims. So just if, if you claim, you're going to get more. Yeah. So the people that claim will get back more if, if there are people that don't submit their claims or whose claims are rejected. And and how like how is this claims process going to work? Like everybody's going to come create a Kraken account, like has to get it verified. Like how, how does this work? Yeah. So we're still working through that process with the uh, the bankruptcy trustee. But I think the fastest way for people to do it will be, and we hope this is, is what ends up happening, through Kraken. If you have a Kraken account, you'll be able to just click a link to submit your Gox claim. Uh, you'll put in your Gox credentials. You'll see the last known balance that you had. You'll say, I agree to this or not. If you agree, your claim submitted. If you don't agree, then you know you tell us what you think you had. I think we're going to be asking for some substantiating information. Like if you happen to have records of any transactions to or from Gox, like on the blockchain that you can show us, provide the transaction IDs. Um, or maybe wire transfer yeah. instructions. or Right. So that kind of stuff would be helpful in the event that there's any account sort of history dispute. The trustee is going to, to look at all the claims uh, and decide which ones to pay out or, or which ones need more information. Sometime probably around September, payouts will, will be made. Now we're dealing with what a hundred like gox had over a million accounts right i mean yeah, over a million like accounts. how many claims are we talking about here i think there's something like 127,000 funded accounts left so that's potentially how many claims there are um well that like people better get their kraken account created i mean you're <laughs> you guys are gonna have a lot of work to do like getting these all aml kyc verified and like all this work yeah, it is going to be a lot of work to do. So better um, get better get your account set up quick. You know. Yeah, definitely having an account already and having the um, being at tier three with with your documents already submitted will make things a lot easier. Um, the more people that have done that in advance, you know, the faster the process can go. But uh, if if people don't absolutely don't want to do that, then there will be another alternative method for people to submit their claim, and, and there will be another way for people to receive their payouts. Uh, albeit carrier pigeons slower. Yeah, probably uh, <laughs> across the a, a check by mail. You know, after a lot of fees are taken out for mailing and postage yeah and paying and like 10 lawyers to like put the stamp on the envelope off on it. Yeah. yeah so our goal is to try to get everyone paid back in as much bitcoin as possible because that's obviously and as quickly as possible yeah, yeah the most efficient way to get the money back to people i'm sure guys with balances of like ten dollars you know if you're like in australia by the time you pay your 50 dollar wire fee to get it from you know J- japan to australia you got nothing left so man, it, it's time to go to sleep. You got a flight to catch in like three hours. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, you know, thanks so much for taking the time to give us this update, especially at this critical time as Bitstamps lost like nineteen thousand bitcoins. And yeah, it's nice they... to know that like there's an exchange out there where people can the Tokyo Bankruptcy Court that's handling this Mount Gox failure like has confidence and faith and trust in how you're running the shop there. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see position and our strategy kind of pay off because it's not very clear in the short term that that taking the very conservative approach is the right way to go for the business but in the long run i think guys like fedor bank and and the japanese bankruptcy trustee really appreciate 
the approach that we've taken to compliance and to security um, security and and all that stuff and so while it, it means more friction for the users right now i think for the users we do service it makes for a better experience reduces the counterparty risk and obviously it opens this up for opportunities like um, helping feeder with the cryptocurrency bank helping with the the mount gox liquidation well an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure totally uh, so we've had the uh, the legendary jesse powell ceo of kraken thanks so much thanks Trace. Get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.